0: Providence basketball now down again. Done to the cup. <laughs> <laughs> the Roseau, throws it down with love from Wyndham, New Hampshire.
1: A chance for Providence to tie this game up with a three under two and a half to play in the first half. That sets the screen. Cotton, the pull up three. Tie game. Hey, Sound. Hawkins down. Free response right by Cotton. 10 2 Friars run. Denied defense by Great
2: right here. Here's Bats. What a play by Bats. And the foul. Here's the fake. And the shot is good. 10 Bancroft.
1: So the Friars are getting dividends from DeRozier, Bancroft, and Goldsboro. The bench is getting the job done. Fortune.
0: The world's most famous arena. This is specialness. Providence hold on. Looking for their first title since '94. Creighton trying to climb the mountain.
3: Cut to hit. Tend to shoot. Hit fires mid range. <laughs> <And has it. laughs>
4: trying to get it something quickly. Here's McDermott from Omaha! Uh,
0: Too deep. And a foul! Chapman rebound! Congratulations to Providence! It's been a long
2: journey. I'm so proud of our players. And uh, to persevere the way we have all year, I couldn't be more grateful. The one guy that's in my mind right now is Al Spinner. The last time we won the biggest Championship, he was the head coach and I learned so much from him. I feel so appreciative, and I'm speechless. I'm just really happy for our players and for our
3: school.
1: On campus, I know Providence started doing that. Um, so we had summer workouts and you know, Coach White does the Friday turf days. So we at that point, we had a year kind of under our belts. And like you said, I think we were thinking we're top ten team going into the season. Like nobody at that point, you know, we had just started to get a little bit of media attention and it was, you know, making the NIT, but people don't really believe in you until you kind of believe in yourself. But from what i remember man we had one of the best scores in the country we had two guys who were dying to play um we had chris like you said coming back and and a couple potential freshmen who obviously they didn't they weren't able to play that first year but that basketball team if we played as is would have been Arguably one of the best maybe uh, Providence has ever had, to be honest.
5: Take us into a practice. Like, what was it like that year? And who were the, who were the guys, like, that were standing out? Was it LaDante's rebounding? You know, was it Chris's athleticism? Was it Bryce's, you know, ability to, you know, the dog mentality? Like, like what really stood out to you?
0: We, we just, we, we battled. Um, you know, a lot of, lot of, you know, bloody noses. I, I probably had a bloody nose once a week at least you know, Kadeem throwing, throwing elbows around and, and, and us getting into it, but, you know, all for the good of the team. Um, just, you know, guys going against each other, Chris going up against Bryce, you know, we still had a good scout team that year, you know, the guys stepped up and, and, and you know, made the starters and, and, and the contributing bench players really focus, you know, practices similar to now, you know, I, I, I've I been back a little bit to watch a couple of practices and, and there's a lot of focus you know on on scout team um the coaches you know coach blaney um you know from from 2014 right still still on the staff now coach kerbeck coach coach cooley you know really do a great job of of getting you prepared and that was something that i had never seen um with with an eye to as much detail as they would focus on where You know, guys on the bench, you know, guys at the end of our bench would be yelling out the plays. And and if you paid attention during our walkthrough, then you know exactly what's coming. And and that would, you know, really help us out in the games. So let's kick off
5: what was the 2013-2014 season and let's set the stage for everybody. New network, Fox Sports 1, we had absolutely no idea how that was going to go. I mean, being a Rhode Islander, I remember watching games on Cox. So certainly it could only get better from that. You know, Friday, November eighth, twenty thirteen, was a new era of Big East basketball, in which we wouldn't be bullied by the Syracuse's, the West Virginias, the Pitts, Even back in the day of the Virginia Techs, Boston College's, Miami. But we had to start with an old foe. We had to start with Boston College, which I think is just so fitting, right? Um, yeah. Like, what, what what were your initial thoughts going into that game, I remember being there. And just being like, this is the start of a new era. And I'm ready for us to take a new new journey.
6: Yeah. So, Bill, just taking a step back, too. I know we touched on some of these things before, but I had written down some notes. So heading into 2013-14, right before the season opener, PC hadn't reached the NCAA tournament since 2004. They hadn't won a tournament game since 97. They hadn't reached the Big East semis since 97. Big East tournament semis. They hadn't beaten Georgetown since 2005, so nine years. Hadn't beaten Marquette since 2007. And they hadn't been to the you know NCAA tournament in back-to-back season since 89, 90. So just to give you some perspective about where the program had been prior to cooling in this year, you know, those are all pretty telling things. But Boston College, I thought was a really cool way to open the season, right? Because uh, there's a lot there. You know, the Carson and Ted kind of alluded to the fact that, you know, Carson wasn't a Boston college
0: fan. Yeah. To be first home game, you know, against Boston college, a lot of my better games as a friar were against Boston college for, for some uh, recruiting reasons back in high school um, for reasons I won't get into, but you know, just being fired up and, and, and having that extra, that extra motivation, Um, you know, warming up knowing that I was actually going to hit the floor was, was, was awesome. You know um, from what I remember, it was a, it was a really close game. I think we needed, you know, uh, I think Ted played a little bit in the in the end of that game. I think Lee Goldsboro played a little bit in the end of that game. Um, you know, of course, you know the starters in the in the regular rotation players as well. Um, but the student section was was going crazy. That was a uh, that was that was a really special win. You know, to get it on the home floor, kind of my first game in essentially two years. Um, but that was that was a lot of fun.
6: Ed Cooley you know no one really talks about it now but the year before he got the PC job he was a finalist for Boston College's job and they went with, they went with Steve Donahue right so you know Cooley's a competitive guy you know he, he had to have been thinking like this isn't a team I want to lose to I worked there they knew me they didn't take me anyone would feel that way but especially the guy who's had the success and has the competitive fire that Cooley does that goes into it and then with Bryce Cotton, you know, he was he was on campus visiting B.C., you know, in high school. And it looked like he was going to get a, a scholarship offer from Boston College, which he would have ended up there. And, um, you know, the head coach, Steve Donahue, came back and said, you're just not a fit for me. Right. So I always felt like Bryce had a little something extra for Boston College. And the year before at B.C., he had seven threes, he had 33 points. B.C. lost, but he was awesome. So, um, yeah, it was kind of a crazy backdrop for the first game, but those are my thoughts kind of going into it. But, Bill, what do you remember from that, that opening night game? Wow. I mean, you set the stage really well. I mean,
5: Ed Cooley's mentor being Al Skinner, I mean, that, that, that one had a, hurt just a little bit, right? Um, you know, looking at that and then the Bryce Cotton situation. But, I mean, I just remember the vibe uh, in the arena that night. I remember Olivier Hanlon. Was a very good player for Boston he was College.
6: Good. Yeah. Really he, he, was a,
5: he was a very good player, but Bryce Cotton was the man in that game. He had 28. He had six rebounds. LaDante 15 and 13. And Josh Fortune with 15. Um, I think it it just really set the tone for a team that again was out to prove some things this year, right? And and with Bryce and LaDante at the helm, like I said, cool, calm leadership. Um, I, you know, I, I think we could tell after that first game that this year was going to be at least above average.
6: Yeah. So BC had Olivier Hanlon and they had Ryan Anderson who went on, he transferred to Arizona. Um, and he was a really good player too. Um, and of course, we're going to kind of run into a theme here. Providence and BC went to overtime and it was one of about a million games that went to overtime that year. And a guy that we're not going to talk a lot about, but who made a huge play was Lee Goldsboro. So the game is tied in overtime. It's a loose ball in the corner. Lee dives on it, recovers it, gets a timeout. But the game tied with like a minute to go. Um and then PC came down and took the lead and, and won the game. So those were, that was kind of Lee's big moment that year. But it was a big play early, you know, early in the season. And I think, too, what people forget is, you know, they lost Chris Dunn, what, like a week they lost him six days earlier. He got hurt in the opener against Rick, right? So um, not the open, the exhibition game against Rick. So they were kind of like, you know, retooling on the fly. It was a Friday night game. I remember, I don't know why I remember this. I think just because it was odd. It was like a 6 p.m. game on a Friday night. Um, and I think it was Gus Johnson and Bill Raftery. and It just, you know, Fox was putting a lot into it, right? It was a new network. And, you know, we all remember the early days of Fox Sports, one where people were kind of like mocking that you can't find it and no one's watching it. But, um, you know, obviously the partnership ended up being great for for Providence, but that was, like you know, obviously the first game on Fox sports, which was kind of noteworthy as well.
1: I did. I remember the first 20 seconds I was in, they threw the guy to the ball uh, that I was covering the ball on the wing and he blew by me and tried to dunk it. And I remember thinking, Oh boy, the season started like (laughs) take a deep breath. You'll, you'll be okay here. Um, But no, I think the thing with that, right. All of these great new things are, are happening. And then it turns out we're playing Boston college Cooley's old team. So throw in his admiration and desire to beat them. It's like the anticipation was, was exponential. Um, And I, I can't remember the final score of that game. Um, but I remember thinking, oh, gosh, this is going to be uh, a gutty season. We're going to have to battle these things out um, game after game.
6: Hey, just a quick follow-up. Is you know, is that something Cooley even communicates to you guys? Or do you just know instinctually, like, this is his old team? Because I remember the year before, Bryce had a great game. He had, like, 33, and you guys lost out there. Yeah. That was one of the most pissed I've seen Cooley after the game. Like, he was livid. And yeah. I don't know if that's something that's actually communicated, or you guys just know it because – your competitors and that's how you feel too.
1: Oh no, you know. It's there's some games and and it's not even just Cooley, right? There's there's other teammates like I could tell you Carson hates Boston College. So there's there's teams that I think games mean a little more to other people. Um and that was I remember the first time Cooley said like we have to beat Boston College. And you know, in in Fairfield, he he loves Fairfield, but it was still one of those things like we cannot let them come in to our building and beat us like not these teams, you know, we can, we can give one up later on to a, you know, a nova market. Okay. But these ones are must-haves.
5: Always a good day when you beat the Eagles, you know, a short hour drive up North over at Boston college. Let's talk about the Brown game briefly because of just the fact that we lost to Brown the year before, and, and it was another close game at the dunk.
6: It was. Yeah. So they were, I mean, this is probably, probably why PC isn't playing Brown nowadays, but um, you know, they had a Tyler Harris had like 1911 and like, or I think Harris had 21 and Kadeem had 19 and eleven. but PC was down with like two minutes to go and LaDante hit a three to tie it. And then uh, Josh fortune came up with a big shot. I think it was a four point play late in the game that essentially won them the game. So they were, again, they are coming off that loss to Brown the year before and, this is another scare against those guys. And I think that was the thing that was happening early in this season that people tend to forget is, um, a lot of these early season games were, were pretty close and PC was pulling them out late. And we had seen last year, you know, just as we talked about earlier, they had a couple of games that were very winnable that they dropped, you know? and, And I think that a lot of those games that could have gone either way kind of went in their favor this year. And this is certainly one of them. Um, and, again, big night for Tyler Harris at 21 and Kadeem at 19-11. So um, they definitely survived a bit of a scare of this one.
5: I mean, Carson coming off the bench with with 9 and 8, right? Like, just, just anchoring a second unit. Tyler Harris, 21 points, right? Does this does this almost sound like the 21-22 Friars of, like, maybe, like, 21 points from Justin Minaya or, you know, somebody from the middle of the lineup? Like, I, I love the next guy up mentality that this team already had. Um, and like I said, it was nice to see, even without a traditional depth, uh, Carson leading a, you know, a second unit charge with like Lee and Ted of, um, you know, holding things, holding things down both offensively and defensively. So after the Brown game, a not so conventional opponent for the Providence Friars, the red Foxes of Marist of the Mac. And we're talking two A's here, right? Kev, what are your memories of this blowout with over 90 points?
6: Yeah, so this is a game. It was interesting. This is the first game of the Paradise Jam that year. So that's when PC later played against Vanderbilt, LaSalle, and Maryland down in the Virgin Islands. But this is part of it. It was played of the dunk, but it was part of the tournament. Um, and Providence in that game, this was like, we, you know, we talked about them winning close against Brown, but this was them playing unbelievable. So they went on a, and, and merits wasn't great, but still, they, go in, they went on a 37-2 to run. Cotton had 28 points, 11 assists and five boards. Bats had 22 and 10. And I remember I actually went down to the Virgin Islands that year to go um, see PC play and Maris had just played Maryland and Maryland was traditionally awesome. And Maris fans were like, oh my God, you guys are better than Maryland. You've got a really, really good team. And it was a great performance in PC. Obviously against a team that wasn't great, but we kind of saw like what they can look like when they're really clicking and they won like They won 93 to 48. So they really blew them out and um, it was just like a really strong, strong end to the end. But the thing that stood out was no matter who the competition is, the 37 to two run is pretty insane.
5: In terms of, in terms of a Friar season, wouldn't be complete without an appearance from the Vermont Catamounts and especially a game in which we went in a very favorable fashion. Kev, what do you remember about the Vermont game?
6: So the big thing was this was Chris Dunn coming back and We almost forget that Chris played this season, right? Um, He, you know, he hurt the shoulder, the head surgery on again. Um, He only came back for four games this year, but this was his return. And he played 21 minutes, but had eight assists. Uh, He had three steals. I just remember like there was a, when he came back, there was a buzz. It was like, you know, and we didn't know. We thought Chris was back. You know, no one really knew the extent of his injury that was outside the program. Um, So that was really exciting to get Chris back and, you know, we kind of saw what Carson could do. Carson had five blocks in that game, um, and it was kind of the same story. Bryce with eighteen, Madon to the with eighteen, they were obviously huge. But the big story was that Chris was back, and all of a sudden it was like, okay, now we're we're
1: really onto something here.
5: You know, the Vermont Catamounts can never be taken lightly—an NCAA team, many years of the past ten, and you know, always brings some sort of interesting dynamic to the fold of, of good shooting and sound defense you know, just, just another solid win for the team, top performers Kadeem with 12 and 10, another double, double 18 for Ladante and nine rebounds, 18 for Bryce and a solid contribution from Josh and Tyler at eight and five. Um, yeah, I mean, these are the games that you cannot take lightly and especially as you get towards tournament time can be a make or break on the schedule. So Kev, let's talk about the Virgin Islands let's talk about that initial game and the
6: win against Vanderbilt so this was one of the best games I've ever been to um you know I've only been to one of these you know tournaments where they hold them in a tropical island or whatever and the experience is amazing you know you go and you're basically there with a couple hundred fans and it feels like you're essentially watching college basketball in a high school gym so you're sitting like the second row behind the bench you can hear everything the coach coaches have is saying. It's, you know, a really cool experience. So, you know, it wouldn't have been that cool of an experience if the game kept trending, the way it was going. PC was down by 16 to Vanderbilt with 11 minutes to go. And, um, you know, it just seemed like, okay, well, we're going to drop the opener here in the tournament, but let's see where this takes us. And then um, I really felt like the defense, they switched to a zone, but between Carson and, and Chris Dunn, um, I thought the defense really kind of like flipped that game. So they were down 16 with 11 minutes to go. They closed on a 27 to 4 run. So you know they they won that game. They're off to their best start since 1990 with that win. So they they hadn't started this well since 1990. But um, just that that comeback against Vanderbilt was was thrilling. You know, and to be there in the gym was awesome. And they got a bit of everything. Um, you know, Chris was playmaking. Bryce and Tyler had some big shots. I think Ladante had a big offensive rebound late, but I thought it was Chris playing the passing lanes and Carson at the rim that really changed things. They had they switched to a zone the last like ten minutes of that game and flipped it, and uh, that was a really great game.
0: Those preseason, uh, you know, non-conference tournaments are always pretty fun. You know, you go down with with you know the supporters that are on the plane with you, and then you always get those you know those families that that take a vacation and go support you. And to be in those little gyms with essentially a packed house with only a couple thousand in there, you know, brings you back to high school. But but it's a high division one game, and in those tournaments are, are a lot of fun. That game I remember pretty pretty well. You know, um, when I was transferring from Wake, I visited Vanderbilt, so I know I knew essentially the whole team. I know Coach Stallings on the bench, um, a couple of the assistants that recruited me. I remember being at the free throw line a couple of times, guys, you know, chirping me left and right. You know, I didn't choose Vanderbilt. I was here at Providence. Uh, And then, yeah, things, uh, things did not go well. I think we were down, I think maybe, yeah, 15, 16, 17 points. And uh, that was one of those games where we kind of just went, Hey, you know, if if we lock in defensively and we start hitting some shots, there's enough time, 11, 12 minutes to go. And, and, That was a common theme throughout that whole season where that may have been the catalyst, but that was a common theme where we get down by 10 or 12, and there's plenty of time left, and we knew that if we just locked in, we'd be able to come back.
5: We transitioned to our first loss of the season against the Mark Turgeon, Maryland Turpins. Kev, what do we remember about this game?
6: Yeah, this one was a bummer. Um, So they lost that one 56-52, but they were down 19. It was 44-25 it kind of similar to the Vanderbilt game. They, they went this huge run. uh, Cotton had a four point play with like a minute and a half to go to cut it to two. But um, Maryland had this kid Des Wells was a really physical guard. And he ended up basically just going one-on-one and winning the game late for him. But um, that was kind of interesting because Maryland at the time, they had Jake Lehman, who was um, a Massachusetts kid who, I think PC recruited under Keno Davis. And I, I think he might have, from had Renton. Like, you know, either like his mom or his dad went to PC. He had some sort of tie thought to PC. And then they had Evan Smotrich, who was a good three-point shooter. He was Carson's teammate at the Mass Rivals, another Massachusetts kid I think was from Reading, Mass. So they had some connections here locally. Um, it was just a game that I didn't think PC, they shot poorly. They made one of those kind of, you know, crazy runs in the second half where they they did cut it to two to their credit when it looked like they were going to get blown out. Um, So you walk out of there, you know, you lose by four in the championship to Maryland. You feel like that's not going to kill you resume wise. So you're not disappointed at all, but kind of wish they could have got it going earlier. But for me, I I walked out of there feeling pretty good. You know, you beat an SEC team. You did what you needed to do against LaSalle. Then you just came up short against Maryland. We got to talk about the
5: Chris injury. Like I'm sure it hurt you you know, immensely being so close with Chris when he, you know, when he went down with the shoulder injury again, what was the vibe in the locker room like when Chris went
4: down? I I felt so bad for him because I know that the work he put in because he already went through the same injury before and we had just got him back. So for him to go through the same injury again and I seen it right there, I felt so bad for him man. I felt like I was hurt. You know what I mean? That's like one of my best friends. And I remember it vividly. It was against Rick. It was an exhibition game against Rick, and he kind of fell on, on on his shoulder and fell right towards the bench. And it was it was tough for him to go through. But Chris is a great guy, great teammate. Like you, he didn't. It didn't feel like he was injured. Like it felt like he was still playing with us. Like his energy on that bench was like big time. He played a major role on that team, still not even playing the game.
7: I was pretty close with Chris as well. And I remember when he got the news that, you know, he'd be done for the season, you know, he was, you know, he's pretty upset and obviously you never want to see a teammate hurt at all. But knowing just the injuries that he had battled in his time coming into college already, it just seemed like he couldn't really catch a break. So, you know, I really, really felt for him. But um, yeah, like all, all we could do is show our support for him morally. And I mean, emotionally, but we knew we needed to step up because Chris was going to be a big hole, I guess, that we needed to try to fill. And I don't really know if he's a player you can replace or fill that void, but we definitely did the best that we could.
1: Obviously, you hate to see anyone on your team get hurt, right? Let alone the floor general, who Bryce, we we knew what we had in Bryce. We were seeing what we could get from Chris and where he could take us as a team. Like, between him and, and Bryce... As the front, the the two guards like obviously the the energy was there and and you think about all the guys that rely on them right. Bryce was a a scoring point guard, we'll call him. Chris was kind of a pass first guy. So the flow of basketball of our of our play was like immediately upended, right? Like if now we went from having arguably the The engine right he's a very high motor he loves to talk he's very supportive of his teammates he plays the right way like the little things not all the guys do but you know the little tap on the back like good play like that you'll if you look at the film you'll see his hand out almost every time coming back if someone scores like those are the little things that you may not notice but from a teammate you're like um you you can just tell who's a real like we're we're gonna do this together and, and I'm gonna help get you there. So when it first happened, I personally kind of felt for him more than I did the team. I knew the struggle he'd been through. And as someone who'd been injured and plagued with injuries, like my first thing was I wonder how Chris is doing. You know, I figured, hey, our team will hopefully be okay. You know, I'm sure Cooley will come up with something. We'll we'll have to change the way we play entirely but the first thing which i think speaks volumes to the team was like it wasn't oh we're screwed it's let's see how chris is doing and then like could probably mentioned coolly brought us in and said hey we'll figure this out you know like first things first let's make sure our guy's okay
6: um, how do you think he stayed so positive i mean two years of this must have been coming off at of mcdonald's all-american high school year must have been crushing
1: i have no idea the I don't know if it's, if it was his childhood that obviously coming from a a tough area and and tough past growing up. um, But it was a question we asked ourselves a lot. Right. And it's just, it's almost motivating to think, see a guy when you're down bad in your head and he's coming to practice excited after being a darn, he should have been in the NBA already at that point. Right. Like and he's still coming to practice, showing up, doing the PT. It it definitely pushes you to not, you know, take that that sprint uh, a little bit lightly, knowing that, you know, you're healthy and, and you actually get to play the game that he probably loved more than, or just as much of more than everybody. Transitioning, Kev, the Stags
6: of Fairfield. I don't remember much in this win. What's interesting looking back, you know, obviously it's cool against his old team. Bryce Cotton, 18 of 19 at the free throw line, which is pretty crazy. He had 24.7 boards. And then I think every starter had in double figures. Uh, Kadima at 13. Valdante 12. Tyler, again, 16 points, eight of eight, 8 of 8 at the free throw line. PC took four, 45 foul shots in this game, which is wild. Um, I don't remember much from it other than it made PC 7-1. and one. And it felt like, you know, sometimes there's those points in the schedule where games feel transitional. PC had Kentucky coming up, Right. And I remember um, Cooley came out in the press conference and basically said, you know, and not in so many words, I don't give a damn about well, Kentucky, or what about Providence? And essentially said they'd be showing up ready to, to battle against Kentucky. But that Fairfield game kind of felt like, uh, you know, a warm up between Maryland and Kentucky. And they took care of business, but they had a big one coming up against Kentucky. Kev, Kentucky,
5: the Barclays Center, a true blue blood. In fact, they wouldn't play us at the dunk. <laughs> so, yeah. so we had to go to the Barclays Center to play them, right? Kentucky's starting lineup, Willie Cauley-Stein, Julius Randle, James Young, who was a heck of a college player. I know it didn't it work was. out in the NBA, but a heck of a college player. And the Harrison twins. I mean, this is like – and Poitras off the bench. Like, this is as Kentucky of a team as I could think about.
4: I know. I remember going into the matchup. And our mindset going into the matchup is like these guys put on their shoes just like us. They put on a sock one, uh, one, one, one foot at a time, just like us. Like we didn't look at it like, oh, it's Kentucky and they're the best of the best. And no, we looked at them like it was just another game, another team. And we really felt like we could beat them. I mean, it didn't happen like that during the game. Yeah. But our mindset was like, man, we could go in there and beat anybody. But they were, that was a loaded team. They were a good team. And, and they got the best of us that day. Kev,
5: what did you think about the unfortunate but also great learning experience Providence-Kentucky game with the Barclays?
6: Yeah, that was interesting. So Providence had signed a two-year deal with Kentucky. And like you said, they wouldn't come to the dunk. But Providence was going to go to Lexington the next year. And a quote-unquote neutral site game in Barclays that year. What was interesting is it essentially felt like from the presentation of the game, it felt like a Kentucky home game. Uh, on the video scoreboard they were flashing the kentucky logo and not providence they were just showing kentucky highlights but the providence fans really showed up and i think for a lot of guys who are new to pc um you know for carson and tyler you know they hadn't traveled to the biggest tournament before with, with providence i think they were surprised to see just how much pc's fans could kind of take over there um and to be honest you know providence was i think within like two points around the second half cotton hit had a really good game. He had five threes in that game. He had a crossover where he basically dropped this kid, um, uh Dominic Hoskins to the floor. Uh, not Hoskins, Hawkins. He was supposed to be like their gritty defender off the bench. And Cotton crossed him over and hit a three. And they really had it going. But I think essentially, you know, at that time, Kentucky's size was pretty incredible. Uh Julius Randle was kind of a bull inside. Uh, but Collie Stein was dominant. He had, you know, 15 points, eight rebounds, and nine blocks he kind of swallowed up pc um but what's interesting is the next year i thought kentucky was even better you know they had Kali down again but they had tyler ulis they had devin booker coming up the bench they had carl anthony towns um they had the harrisons again so that was the five probably, on five off team <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so and that was the year chris got hurt you know he had hurt his ankle right before that game so um that was an uphill battle but those kentucky teams at the time were, were loaded but i thought it was you know, uh, almost a little bit of a good preview for what was ahead in the the NCAA tournament playing kind of one of these blue bloods that can just throw out so many big athletic bodies out at you, like Dakari Johnson and Marcus Lee were both five-star big men who came off the bench and didn't play much at all, right? Whereas at a school, like, you know, PC size, those guys are probably playing huge minutes. Um, These North Carolinas and Kentuckys can just throw like waves of big athletic guys at you. And that's the that's the difference. And they kind of wear down a little bit. And yeah, you know, this was a game that PC essentially off the bench. They had Carson playing 18 minutes, um, and they had Lee Goldsboro playing 12. But we were really reliant upon you know the starters in that game. And that that is that's a tough tough hill to climb. You're going against a team that talented and that athletic to essentially play six guys.
0: I think Carson said it best when he said, "We started that game off, you know." Pretty competitive. I remember going in, into halftime. Um, Coach Cooley was pretty was pretty excited. I don't remember what the what the deficit was, but I, I think it was low scoring, and I think we felt really really good. And just at a certain point, you know, in the second half, we kind of just ran out of gas. Um, and and you know, in in that particular game, and again, correct me if I'm wrong. We did at that point, I'm not sure if if we had Chris or not. Um, I might be no. getting him. A- yeah, I'm thinking of the uh, 2015 game, but the 2014 game, you know, it, it would have helped to have a couple more, a couple more guys, um, but we just ran out of steam. But, but, you know, that first, you, you said at 25, 30 minutes of that game, um, you know, we, we kind of hung around and, and that was my first experience at the Barclays, uh, you know, before going to um, Madison square garden for the biggest tournament that year where I really, really understood just how well Providence College basketball fans travel. That was, you know, as as big of a program as Kentucky was. I'll never forget the first few baskets of that game, and just looking around and seeing a, a whole bunch of black in 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 support as a Providence. It was it was pretty remarkable, you know. And I know Brooklyn in the New Jersey, New York, Connecticut area is a big Providence alum hotbed. But for 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 the fans to show out against the game with Kentucky was pretty cool.
5: And, and you know. I just don't think the Providence Friars should play games at the Barclays Center anymore. We really haven't had the best luck there overall in recent years. And um, much like the Friars of 2013-2014, I'm, I'm going to turn the page on this game to a, to a very great in-state rival. The Rhode Island Rams, always entertaining when we play at the Ryan Center, even though not as good, good as the dunk. We've had some thrillers, but overall we've obviously – came out victorious much more than our, our fellow friends down in South County in recent years, Kev, we took it 50 to 49. I remember it being a nail biter, but at the end of the day, I felt confident. What do you
6: remember about this game? So this was the Ed Cooley and Dan Hurley yelling at each other at half court game. So something happened. It looked like someone bumped Josh fortune. Someone's arguing at half court and Hurley said something to fortune and Cooley caught wind of it. And they were screaming at center court. Um, and it's interesting to look back to think like, you know, how things kind of unfolded for Dan Hurley's career and where he is now and how UConn's back in the big East to think kind of the, the journey those two coaches have gone on. I think this might've been Hurley's first year at, at URI, but um, that was a close game. You know, U, URI had a shot at the end to win it. E.C. Matthews was their big star. They were down 50 to 49. He kind of airballed the top of the key jumper. Uh, Providence got a really big free throw from Kadeem Batts who, that year had a lot of big free throws, you know, we'll see in the big East championship game um, that go kind of forgotten. Cause they, they happened in moments that weren't the very last second, but they were big. Um, so in that one, I think he put PC up by a point very late in the game. And, uh, but I think that, I think the, the clip everyone remembers is Hurley and, and Cooley kind of yelling
1: at each other there. That one, I mean, I just want on record. I, I never lost the URI. So that's, Providence uh that'll be a good memory for me um but yeah that was a team man they I can't remember what how they finished the season I think someone got hurt but they had a lot of expectation like we had just gone on a good run last year and you know like we said we we had a a big team coming in and it dwindled a little bit we lost a couple guys so I think people started to doubt us early in the season um and I remember thinking okay well so far, haven't lost to URI. This is probably their best team that we've faced so far. Like, what are we going to do to stop them? They were talking um, the the lefty was a projected lottery pick potentially. Um, so, obviously, the the fans, I remember, they showed out that day like they usually do for URI and very underrated the the impact. Again, like you said, I think he missed it, the buzzer, right? Or we won by one or two?
3: One by one. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and that's where it's like, okay, we know we're excited for the game, but when you're scoring in the forties and fifties, it means you're not the the defensive intensity on both sides is is probably pretty remarkable that day, right? Like Cooley if probably could have his way, every game would be in the fifties. Like that's that suits him well. Um so yeah, going in, team we, we obviously come together and we're like, Hey, you know, your eyes, your eye into the to the freshman. We didn't I don't think we really had many playing that day. Um, but it's a friendly reminder of okay, you know, there's one city. Basketball's all we got in Rhode Island. These games, my my uncle says he uh the one time you or I beat us in the past gee, seven years, the neighbor put a URI flag in his mailbox, right? So <laughs> these things these things carry forward and it takes a full year before you can go put that right back, you know, and say, thanks. So um, those ones, even just outside of the team, like for my family, you're getting the text of like, Hey, we need a good one tonight. You yeah, know, those, sure. those don't always come.
5: <laughs> and, and Kevin and I were just like, before we came on, we were chatting about this. That was the year where the Cooley Hurley altercation
1: happened, right? Oh, was it? It must've been. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it must have been at half court. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah, because that was at our place. Yeah. Wow, that was it. But the, and there you go. There's the dog fight we were in, right? Fifty to forty nine. That was right up Cooley's Alley.
3: That URI a rivalry for Providence was since I first got there. Since I have had to watch that game as a as a red shirt freshman, uh, it was just always tension. uh The tension was heavy and high and. I think, I think that was more so they, they knew what they were doing for the fans as well. Um, You know, what I'm learning now at 31 versus you're talking about 20, 21 years old, 22 years old at that point is uh, the business of it. And I understand that they were like selling it, selling that intensity, you know, selling that, that, that feel to the crowd, giving that energy. And uh, they were just, they, they, I'm sure they shook hands and, Call each other after and had dinner after or something, but uh, that you know the intensity of the game. You're not that's not your friend on the other side. We keep it in New England again.
5: Probably the longest New England swing we've had, right? With URI, Yale, Maine, yeah. and UMass. Derek Kellogg's team was pretty good, number twenty three at the time. And 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 I remember, like it was yesterday, Chaz Williams, skilled skilled guard. Derek Gordon, who would eventually transfer to Seton Hall, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. and 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 Samson Carter. So this 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 team was was eleven and one at the time, and was talented. I think it's I think it's easy to say that we we might have been best, you know, we, we might have been good to walk away with that win in overtime. But Kev, what do you remember about the UMass game at the Mullen Center?
6: Yeah, so this was at UMass, and um, you know at the time PCs ten and two. You're thinking if they can win this one the road. They're eleven and two, and UMass was ranked at the time. So if you're looking at UMass, you know back in 2000, the fall of 2013, they started that year ten and zero, and they'd beaten New Mexico, they beat BC, they beat BYU. If you remember, remember uh, Matt Carlino who played for Marquette, he he's a good lefty scorer. He was there, and Kyle Collinsworth was there. They beat Clemson, Nebraska, and they beat LSU, and they barely lost to Florida. So they had played a ton of good teams. I think they weren't necessarily seeing you know, PC come in. And they started that year 16-1. and They were nationally ranked for a lot of the year. They lost to Tennessee in the tournament. But um, UMass was good. I think people kind of forget how good they were that year. And that was year, you know, PC basically battled them. It was kind of toe-to-toe. UMass took it 69 to 67 in overtime. Um, and that was the game that UMass, um, they scored in the last second shot. They got an offensive rebound. It took like a terrible three uh, with like five seconds to go. And Derek Gordon grabbed an offensive rebound and put it in at the buzzer. Uh, it was such a bummer for PC, but Cotton was awesome in that game. He had 24 points. Tyler had 16. And Carson and Kadeem combined for nine blocks. But PC was down 10 with like three minutes to go. Um, And Bryce came through. I think he tied it with a layup. Um, And then Bryce tied it once again in overtime with a three with like 30 seconds to go. Um, So it just seemed like a game that PC was kind of like climbing uphill all game. Um, And, you know, as much as it felt like kind of a BS last minute shot by UMass to catch like a total brick and put it back in, um, they did kind of control that game the second half and probably deserved to win. And you know, from PC's perspective, it would have been a good win to get, but didn't feel like a crusher. They, so they closed out the non-conference ten and three, and you're feeling pretty good. At least I did, Bill. I'm, I'm not sure how, if you remember how you felt after that one, or about the non-conference in general at the time. But for me, I was like, that's that's a pretty good pretty good start. Kev, what do you remember
5: about starting Big East playoff with the double overtime thriller that we lost,
6: unfortunately, at the dunk on New Year's Eve? Yeah, this was a backbreaker. So they. I think this the first in the first year of Fox sports won in the big east i think every team played on on new year's eve it was this big run of games and you know providence had already played umass in overtime they played boston college in overtime and here's another double overtime gaming at seton hall um and it was a game that you know seton hall won 81 to 80 um it was a killer loss you know they were I think Providence, it was their first double OT game since 2005, which is kind of crazy. I think fans are, might remember that night where Ryan Gomes had a career high, like 38 points. Um it was this crazy game. There were 11 ties, 16 lead changes. Cotton played 50 minutes and scored 25. He was absolutely awesome um, in overtime. I remember he hit all sorts of like crazy shots. Um, and PC was up three with 10 seconds left in over double overtime, double overtime. Um, and then they committed kind of a bad foul that put Seton Hall at the free-throw line. They hit those. Then Providence turned it over on the inbound pass and fouled again. Seton Hall hits the two free throws and wins the game. So that was a real backbreaker, just because, too, Providence was trailing in that game um, either late in overtime or late in regulation, and that sequence at the end, um, I imagine, was a killer for Providence, especially under Cooley, a Cooley team that kind of prides itself on the fact that they execute well. If the game's close late, they're going to win it. And um, that was just a a real painful loss. Really, really tough way to start the Big East.
5: I mean, what stood out to me with this game was Tyler Harris again. You know, 6 of 10 from the field, 22 points, 9 rebounds. Like, like Tyler was – Tyler, on this 2013-2014, Friars, like, I hope you're listening out there, Tyler. Like, you you were an underrated piece to the success looking back at all these big offensive games that you had, um, you know, as we as, as we head into Big East play here. So after the loss to Seton Hall, team continued forward, but unfortunately with the wrong opponent, Villanova, which had been ranked at 11th at the time, we got them down in Philly and kept we lost by 30. What are your recollections of the loss to Villanova after the Seton Hall double overtime loss?
6: I remember very little about the game. Um, except the fact I remember the reaction more than the game, right? Because you know, PC expectations are really high. They're ten and two. All of a sudden, now they're ten and five, and they're zero and two in the Big East. They've lost. You know, they lost complete heartbreakers to UMass and Seton Hall, and they come out and get killed by Villanova. And then, naturally, the questions start about you know. did those two losses in overtime break their will are they going to bounce back from that because this was an ugly one and th- these things just happen every, every year we saw it this past year with the game at marquette there just looks to be kind of a dud game and this this was it
7: the one thing i remember with playing with nova it just seemed like no matter how good we played they always just had something else for us and it would just never be enough um but they were a hell of a team and that's you know sometimes that's what basketball is about good matchups they match up uh, they matched up pretty well against us. I would say every time we played them, but um, it was a good, a good lesson for us to learn because that wasn't the only tough games we were going to have. It prepared us um, for what was to come in some ways. Uh, I would say.
6: And taking a step way back, you had a, a buzzer beater against them at their place your junior year, and I felt like that was almost like turned the season and kind of turned the momentum of the whole program. Like that's when you guys started going on a winning streak. What do you remember about, you know, that game winner you had at at NOVA and what that meant for you guys as as a team?
7: (laughs) I remember we was up eight or something like that with like 40 seconds left. So that buzzer beater should have never really happened. But uh, luckily, luckily that went down because if that would have went in overtime, who knows where that game would have went because they really started rolling. But, um, yeah, that definitely stands out in my mind because they made a hell of a comeback.
4: Yeah, Villanova was tough, man. Like, you're bringing back a lot of memories, man. Those, those <laughs> teams were some tough teams to go against. Yeah, uh, They had a lot of position, like, positionless guys over there. So they were just throwing guys that was the same size out on the court, and they were just out there hooping and just trying to play bully ball. And we knew that. And they still was a tough matchup for us. There was always a battle with Villanova that year, man.
5: I'm happy to kick it off here on Providence at St. John's because I almost wish – that St. John's was more competitive now for truly the rivalry we had back then. Right. It's kind of like St. John's started off as our main rival or one of our main rivals with the new big East. Um, you know, obviously our, our friar contingent of alums in New York obviously helps the cause within that, but Carnesecca arena, you know, the house that the Carnesecca has built double overtime game. I mean, just an absolutely gutsy performance from Bryce Cotton. 50 minutes played. Josh Fortune, 50 minutes played. LaDante, 46, Tyler, 44. I mean, this this game was 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 one for the ages. And 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 there was there was seriously a deeper rooted rivalry with some of the players on St. John's and PC with Jakar Sampson choosing St. John's over PC. D'Angelo Harrison and and Chris, you know, had their history of going back and forth. Orlando Sanchez, another recruit who chose St. John's over PC. I mean, it's crazy to think about the amount of ties that these players had, and they took it personal. Um, We ended up up. up pulling it out in a gutsy effort in double overtime, 84-83. Two Providence to inbounds. No timeouts remaining for the Friars. Cotton picked up by Green. Cotton got bumped off the glass, and the foul. A huge bucket by Bryce Cotton. Players make plays. They run an isolation for him
4: at the top of the key. No screen needed. Gets by the St. John's Redman, takes the hit, and is able to finish. Huge, huge play by your star player. St. St. John's had guys that we had, I had relationships with, and I think other guys on our team had relationships with as well. Um, so it was like tough, they were a tough team. We were a tough team. Um, Sir Dominic Pointer played my position. He was from Michigan. Um, so we kind of had that, we was friends off the court. We played AAU together. So we was friends off the court and he was known as a defender. I was known as a scorer. So we had kind of like that. Every time we was matched up against each other, it was like, I'm i to prove to him that I'm better than him. And he probably had the same mindset every time. So that was like, it was like inner rivalries within, within the game.
2: I would say, yeah, because it definitely, mean, we weren't reeling, but we had to get a W. You know, we, we needed a win. And I think after that game, we just had so much confidence. I, I just thought that was a confidence booster for us because we knew we can compete with anybody in the league. Kev, what do you remember about the St. John's game?
6: So a couple of things. One, I think Bill, you highlighted it. This was the start of a three really tough games with St. John's. With two teams that were really even, I thought that St. John's going into the year was seen as maybe the most purely talented team in the league. Um, they seemed like they were kind of combustible too. They had all these big personalities. Um, you mentioned Jakar Samson was a huge recruit. After they got... Ricky Leto and Chris Dunn, PC went like all in and Jakar Sampson. Um, he ended up going to St. John's. Um, but they were very talented. Uh, D'Angelo Harrison was an awesome scorer. And I think the, obviously you mentioned the biggest takeaways for me from that game were all the minutes these guys played, but also a couple things from late in the game, right? So PC's down a point with maybe 10 seconds to go. And instead of fouling, they force a jump ball, which we'll see happen later in the year in an even bigger spot. So they force a jump ball. They get the ball back. Cotton just goes one on one, finishes his crazy and one that essentially wins the game. And it's a huge moment, right? Like that was a tough spot, too, because St. John's was desperate. You know, we'll we'll see later in the year, St. John's plays their way back onto the bubble. But at this point, they'd started 0-4 in the Big East. And the last thing you want to do is go to someone's house when they're completely desperate and a really talented team. You know, not just anybody, but this is a talented team. Um, so to get that win in that gym against a really talented and desperate St. John's team was huge.
5: You know, we we can't talk about the 2013-2014 Big East season without talking about the Creighton Blue Jays. As you mentioned, they were getting some national notoriety, uh, ranked 20th at the time, 13-5. and five. We were able to pull out an 81-68 win in convincing fashion. And what I'll remember about this game is just, it was an offensive barrage by PC similar to that of like a non-conference game where everybody was in double figures in the starting lineup and things just seemed to be working. And truly other than Doug McDermott going off for 21 and seven, we didn't really see a lot from the cast of characters that we're used to at Creighton somebody like an Ethan Rogge or an Austin Chapman guys who were just you're just so used to being complimentary three-point pieces for Creighton outside of the star player I thought this was a crucial win for PC going into the rest of Big East play Kev what did you think about this win
6: yeah and part of the cool thing about college basketball is These seasons can turn in a matter of one or two games, right? Like three games earlier, you're thinking that PC is in some trouble. Now, all of a sudden they've got some serious momentum going like Creighton. Creighton had won 10 games in a row coming in, right? They were averaging 82 points a game Um, to put it in perspective, right? They came out the game after this one against Villanova. Nova was ranked fourth in the country and they beat them 96 to 68. And they beat Nova later that year, 101 to 80. So Um, I mean, to put up those kind of numbers against a Jay Wright team is crazy. So they were obviously really explosive. I mean, PC got, I will say, a bit of a break into McDermott. was a little bit under the weather that game. But still, um, you know, Creighton shot like 21% from three. Uh, They only scored 68, which was 14 below their season average. And Providence just played great. They were up by as many as 20 in the second half. They never trailed. And I thought that the one thing that was kind of – that stood out was – they just seem more physical um, than Creighton. And I, I think it was evidenced by Ted Bancroft. You know, I, I thought, you know, they, even McDermott said after the game or during the game to Bancroft, like, wait, you're a walk-on? Like, he's a really strong, like, 6'5 kid. And, and Ted did a good job on McDermott for a while. And, and I thought Ted lit, kind of lit the dunk on fire. He came up with a huge steal and dished it to Lodonti for an N1. And that was kind of like the marquee play of the game. But um, all of a sudden now, PC's won three in a row. And you're feeling like the season's
2: back on track. Well, I remember, you know, obviously uh, McDermott and I were just getting to know each other first year, boom, boom, boom. And his son, I think his son was coming off the flu. So he wasn't at 100%. And, you know, our styles of play for whatever. And that day, you know, playing at the dunk, it was just an electric, electric environment. We had to win. And I thought we played one of our better games against one of the better teams. So um, I think everything clicked. You know, I definitely think everything clicked. And as you talk about Creighton, as we played them three times that year, where we, you know, we go into what I thought was the hardest basketball environment in my 29-year career uh, at, um, I forget, I, I, was it called the Link back then? I believe it was called. McDermott trying to get 3,000 points. I think he needed 35 and he got 31 in the first half. And, you know, it was his senior night and all the lines were there for them. They beat us so bad, I can still feel the, the the tail whooping, yet divine providence comes and we play them in a Big East championship, and that's why we're here on this Zoom now. So, I mean, that is like one of the greatest turnarounds in a seven to 10-day period that you can have.
3: Great style was the first team I think we played against where everybody literally stayed on the perimeter. So their five I forget his name but that was the first five I guarded like that where his literally he didn't shoot one two that whole season he just literally shot three so um that was their system was very before it's time um because that's that's what game is now but even then that was like before it's time just like the way the style they played
7: first one yeah we were I think that was one of the games that kind of got us rolling because we had lost our first two big East games I think or first three. And then we strung off five in a row. But beating Creighton, that was huge for us to boost the morale and also to kind of calm some of the fans down to let them know, like, this isn't going to be a season like everybody typically expects. Like, we're, we're good. Just hang in there. And, uh, you know, the tables were going to turn. But that was probably a big shift for us because not only did they have McDermott, I think they were ranked like top 20 in the nation as well. So that was really, really huge for us.